0: listening to Food for Thought, a series that takes a bite into food-related stories from the Auckland Libraries Heritage Collections and beyond. It's a recipe for good listening. (music) Sue Berman caught up with Sue G to chat with her about the family food story and the cooking techniques that culminated in her father, Jack Chong's recipe book, which was produced to complement his special marinades. You can see Jack Chong's new look cookbook, exciting new ways to cook Chinese and Kiwi foods, in the Food for Thought exhibition.
1: Well, um, it started before Dad was born with um, Grandfather, um, who he came to New Zealand in 1893 and he had a fruit shop in Haura and Manaya. The thing is, he was really well known throughout um, Taranaki to be a very, very good cook. And when it was his birthday or for special occasions, he would cook a huge um, uh, banquet and invite all his Chinese friends, and they would come from Haura and Stratford and Inglewood and, and New Plymouth and there'd be tables set out in the shop. Um, he sometimes cooked for, you know, 20 or 30 people and it was very much in the family tradition. He was such a good cook and then Dad picked it up. He himself was a superb cook and probably did as much cooking in the family uh, when I was growing up as Mum did. So, um,
0: and so your yeah. dad grew up in, in that environment with his father in Taranaki district and he and you grew up there too, is that? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm.
1: I was born in um, Stratford and uh, mum was born in Opaneke mm-hmm. and so it was a very um, Taranaki upbringing, yes. In fact we didn't eat very much Chinese food, we ate mostly um, Um, what was called European food, so roasts, sausages, fritters, patties, (laughs) that sort of thing. But once a week we ate Chinese food.
0: And was there a a particularly special dish that that once a week?
1: Um, One thing I remember Dad um, getting very excited about was, I don't know how he, he cottoned on to this, but... Um, The idea was that you cooked all of your meal almost in one pot, so it reduced the um, amount of dishes that you did. So he cooked the rice and he, um, he stir fried the cabbage and onions and the marinated steak and mixed all that together and then mixed it across the rice and through the rice. So you were eating a really delicious meal but it had really only taken it wasn't actually one pot, it was a pot and a, and a fry pan. <laughs> but he was so excited about it and he made it in a big pot and taught mum how to do it. So we'd actually have this maybe a couple of times a week. I think actually the amount of times we had rice grew exponentially after he'd discovered this <laughs> magical way of cooking. <laughs> he, he was very enthusiastic when he had a new idea. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And was your, the influence of your grandfather still around when you were growing up? Um, very much so, because
1: when um, Granddad wanted to have a, a dinner um, a, or a special spread, then quite a lot of um, preparation was involved. For instance, you'd have to start soaking the octopus a couple of days in advance. There'd be chickens and ducks that had to be slaughtered and um, plucked, and I was allowed to help with that. And um, so the preparation of food took Mm. a long, long time. And I remember many a happy um, occasion with relatives, and mostly relatives coming from a long way away to have this big spread. Um, And it was mostly Chinese cooking when Grandad was around. In fact, I don't think he, yeah, he didn't cook much uh, European food. Was, but then I suppose Dad and Mum were doing more cooking by that time. As yeah, <laughs> he lived in in Hauara by then, and so we saw each other more for when there were special special meals. Mm. Yeah.
0: So what kind of occasion would um, have, have um, a special meals? The double associated? tenth was
1: always a big occasion. So that's the tenth of October, and. Uh, I I think that Christmas that was a thing, and um, granddad's birthday. But I'm telling you the story more from what I've heard from other people who told me, oh, we drove all the way from New Plymouth to go to your granddad's birthday for this big feast. So um, that's a bit of a secondhand story. Mm. However, um, I think. The legacy of uh, Granddad's cooking spilled over and so there was a certain pride in in doing things well in the culinary department in our family.
0: Was your mother interested in cooking too? Uh,
1: From my understanding, dad said that she couldn't even boil water and in fact when she did that it burned, (laughs) so he would have had to teach her a lot. she was pretty talented in the end, um, but I think Dad just liked to tell that story that she couldn't cook. But it was good, he taught her. And, I mean, when I, I was married, my husband taught me to cook because I'd never been cooked. I was a good baker. But
0: Sue shared with me a couple of the culinary cooking tricks her father shared with her, and the genesis of his marinade and pickling product.
1: Dad, deciding to show me something. I'll show you something, Suzanne. I haven't showed you this before. And it was like, okay. And he had a a leg of lamb, and he said, this is what I do before it goes in the oven and he put it in the, um, in the sink, the stainless steel kitchen sink. He had a, um, a jug of boiling water, and he very gently poured the boiling water over the roast and then t- turned it over after he'd done half of the jug and poured the boiling water over the other half. And you saw the, sh- the skin shrink quite visibly. Mm. The whole thing just sort of crunched up and shriveled and became smaller. He said, "That's going to seal it and keep the juices in." It's like, "Oh my gosh, tricks!" <laughs> yeah. And and another thing, um, one of David's friends was saying, "But how come these roast potatoes taste so good when my parents do them? They don't taste like this." So, I remember Dad telling me um, quietly and with a smile on his face. And it wasn't that long before he died, maybe a year or so. He said, "Well." This is what I do, Suzanne. And he got the pot and he put the the potatoes in and the carrots. And the pot was so small, I said, is that big enough? Yes, you get a pot exactly the right size and cover it with just the right amount of water, no more. And he brought it to the boil and he never let it boil over, but Mm. he just cooked them almost just under the boil. But he did that for about an hour. And that meant that the potatoes retain all this beautiful um, natural potato flavour or natural carrot flavour, but there was no excess of boiling or, you know, Mm -hmm. the flavour didn't go out into the pot, it stayed into the vegetable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just that simple. I mean, yeah, people talk about those sorts of things now on on cook shows all the time, but back then, (laughs) you know, oh. Innovative,
0: yeah. Are, so, are some of these um, expertise captured in the in the cookbook? Because I I, no. I noticed that you know the subtitle is um, exciting new ways to cook Chinese and Kiwi food. Yeah. Lemon so, mushroom casserole. So you've opened it up that
1: page. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so.
1: Okay. So there was a a real um, interest in in. Um, Dad's cooking of of Chinese food and and Kiwi food, how it came about was would have been back in the mid '60s, and Dad was pretty social. We often had friends come over from the golf club, and um, he would cook food. People really enjoyed his flavours, and they'd say, "How did you do that?" And you, he would say, "Oh, just put a bit of soy sauce, bit of ginger, bit of garlic," and and um, and they'd say, "Well," okay so they'd go back and try to do that he'd do what they'd do what dad said but they'd come back and say phew didn't taste right didn't taste anything like what you've done dad said well shall i give you a little bit and so he'd cut up a little bit of ginger and garlic and soy sauce and salt and pepper and and, um, he'd put these things together into a little dish or bowl and so they could take it home and and cook themselves with it and um it was a very uh, country thing to do because we grew up in Manaya, there were 600 people and people knew each other well and eventually it got to the point where people really wanted to have a bit more of this and he couldn't just keep on sort of mixing up little bits. <laughs> so he, he made it into a bottle for people and, um, and they could take it and I guess that was the genesis of, of the idea of actually making a marinade. And in um, and marketing it, there was nothing like that at the mm. time. Um, of course now, you, you know, you have whole supermarket shelves full of sauces and marinades all prepared. So this was back in the um, late 60s. Yeah, there was a real demand for, for what Dad was doing. And so these little bottles of seasonings were created in the back of the fruit shop and uh, from the natural ginger and garlic mostly and, and salt pepper, soy sauce. And um, dad partnered up with a fellow called um, Gavin Murdoch. and Gavin was the um, town chemist. And one of the first products that they made, it was, it, it was um, under the brand of Simix. Simix was um, chosen because it was a, a combination of two words, Simple to mix. <laughs> and um, I can tell that this sort of little bit of alliteration appealed to Dad, like Jack Chong's new look, cook book. Anyway, um, they made up a, a pickling mix, and you could pickle your onions or pickle any vegetables with it. All you had to do was mix um, this pickling mix with um, it was a proportion of either 25 percent or one-third of the pickle mix and then the rest was water that's all you had to do because dad had put all the um, um, things like tarragon or caraway or little chilies and that sort of thing was already in it but it was concentrated very concentrated and because gavin was a chemist he had on the label something like (laughs) i don't think it said poison but it said (laughs) caution do not take, <laughs> something like that. I really need to go and find one of those original labels <laughs> to see what it said. It was a little bit off-putting. People bought the product, but then when they read the label, they were a bit too scared to use it. <laughs> they had to do a print rerun and change the, um, the wording. and um, It was so funny. He had this fruit shop owner and the chemist, and they were buddies from golf. And there they were starting off in this great venture to sell this mix, pickling mix. <laughs> oh, I, I can remember many um, nights of guffawing and laughter and, and um, a fair bit of whiskey was involved, I think, with the testing of these various um, um, products, which I think... Um, Gavin had the, the temerity to call them formulas. <laughs> I don't think Dad called them formulas later, he called them recipes. <laughs> yes, so that was a very um, uh, fun beginning. And actually the, the marinades were, were marketed under that as well. But um, the, the Simix brand didn't continue. Um, that partnership ended. And then dad carried on with the seasoning and he named it after himself jack chong
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is very funny because when people um met me later in the 80s and said jack chong is that a real person i thought that was something like you know colonel sanders a made up mm-hmm. person I said, no that
0: was my father <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: so we have gone from the 60s to the 80s there one breath.
0: Yeah, so all that all that time to develop. Because by the time it got to the end, it, it was sort of in supermarkets and quite a yeah. well produced. So it went um, from the back of the fruit
1: shop. From the back of the fruit shop. So those days, um, all of the garlic and the ginger was was prepared in this little room, which had been my brother Colin and my playroom, where we used to play table tennis. It was a big enough room. It was actually just a bedroom, but it'd been, it had been our playroom. And then it became the, um, the mixing room. And uh, one day I, oh my goodness, I opened the door and it must've been a bit of a, a wind rush. And I saw Mrs. Tom Wheatery sitting there on a tomato box. She was surrounded by garlic and ginger, and she was peeling the garlic, clove by clove, and the garlic was in big bags, red sacks, and um, so it was all surrounding her, but next to her was peeled garlic, and garlic cloves peels. As the door opened, the, the air lifted the garlic, and all this, the peels lifted up around her. It was so beautiful. She was sitting in, like, you know, shoulder-deep of garlic peels. What a sight.
0: Magical. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of hand produced?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: At the beginning. Uh, and it, Amazing. it was less
1: Dad's hands and more Mrs Tom Tongwitari's hands. She must have been such a patient woman. And she peeled the ginger as well. And then Dad mixed it all up. He had this giant um, machinating thing. I guess he's had a bit of a fixation on m- minces. You <laughs> had big machines that mas- macerated it all. And then um, he actually ended up making his own soy sauce. Um, yeah, so it was really well preserved, um, very intense, very concentrated soy sauce that went into this um, marinade. So. You could use just one teaspoon of it and it would flavour mm. a whole dish, you know, suitable for four people. Mm. So when you look at the, um, the book, for instance, stir fried beef with cauliflower and celery. It's got 250 grams of ribeye steak and the amount of um, seasoning is just one teaspoon of beef seasoning. Mm. You use a cup of super stock and quarter of a teaspoon of pepper. He used to say, um, the key to it, Suzanne, is the combination. It has to be, every flavor has to work in harmony. So they need to work in harmony with each other. No one flavor should dominate. That was his big thing. You should never have one flavor that that stands out. And then later, um, the family moved up to Auckland in the 70s. And he started to experiment with, um, oils, essences. and so he would import them from Japan and China. They'd be massively concentrated. So he would do a lot of testing, breaking it down further and further and further, until he got the right sort of flavor to what he was happy with.
0: Sue explained that her husband at the time, Kim G, took the photographs and promotional material for her father. Both Sue and Kim are accomplished photographers, and many of the photos they took at this time can be found in the Auckland Libraries Heritage Collections.
1: Kim was really good with um, doing amazing photos for, for Dad, and you know, that photograph that you've got, the 16x20 Cibachrome was done in our studio in um, uh, Park Avenue in Ōtahuhu, so there was a proper lighting set up and a full um, background, which Kim created, you know, standing the rows and rows and rows of um, s- seasoning bottles, one above the other. It's really quite ingenious. Mm. And to light all that without, you know, glare oh, on the bottles. On the bottles, that's right. I know, yeah. He, he was really good, still is a really good photographer. Yeah. So, um, as I said, there was a lot of eating involved, and in fact, the food that was in that wok probably ended up in our tummies, because Dad would call us at least three times a week to come over and test this new seasoning, and um, Kim and I would look at each other sometimes trying out this new food, and sometimes something was a bit strong, and and Dad would watch our faces really closely when we were eating it, because he wasn't sure what we were going to say, he would go by our faces, and um, so yeah. father-daughter thing. so there's a certain diplomacy, but we, we manoeuvred our way through it, we got fed a lot, and, and the seasonings were very popular, they were obviously really good.
0: Um, they ended up being produced, um, I mean bottled and labelled in a That or? was done
1: in a factory in Monaco mm-hmm. City. Mm-hmm and um, dad shared a um, factory with another man who was making another food product and it found its way to supermarkets like a a national distribution Uh, and the products were sold a lot through food town at that time that was a major supermarket um, chain and dad did a lot of demonstrations of the product in the supermarkets he had a helper then, and um, they sold a lot of product. Mm. It was really popular, and it was before all these other marinades had come out, so mm. it was the forerunner, really,
0: mm. of, of um, marinades. And then the That's book sort of followed, because it's an early 80s publication, yes. isn't it? So tell so me people a little bit about how this came together. Um, well, you'll see my name at the, mm. at the um,
1: beginning. I think I wrote the introduction. Wishing you good cooking and good eating. Sincerely, Suzanne G, brackets, Ni Chong. So this came out in 1982, was it? There's no ISBN because we didn't know about that sort of thing then. Um, you see, it's
0: been accessioned now into our collection. Yeah. That's what all these
1: numbers, <laughs> cataloging numbers. About, yep. Oh, very nice. Well, I'm glad that you've got a copy. And it's so lovely to know that there's a copy which will be kept for pros, pros, posterity. Mm. Well, um, I think... Dad had wanted to write a recipe book for a long time, and um, he was relying on me a lot to um, to do much of the writing. <coughs> I think he would have been better placed to engage a professional writer. <laughs> I, this came out—oh no, it must have come out '84 because I I um, had moved into the city in in 1983 from Ōtahuhu and I was having such a good time being a single woman, and I didn't really take my job of being a recipe writer very seriously. And I remember Mum and Dad coming in on numerous occasions, saying, have you got it ready yet, Suzanne? (laughs) I was just terrible. Eventually it all came together, and um, I think there are some good recipes in there. Don't cook from it, because it's not really something that, um, it's not my style of cooking. However, my daughter, and some of our cousins do use the book and cook from it and use dead seasonings, so it must have certain classic um, aspects to it.
0: So, when you say use dead seasonings, are they? Do they still have some of the old stock, or was it still being produced? Yeah. But no, it's not like
1: being produced. Hmm. It's just their lifetime supply Amazing. that I've given to them in lemonade bottles and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I took some to Melbourne recently to my son. Uh, oh, this is very awkward. He, my son doesn't have a very good view of me going across to Melbourne. Sometimes we, I do get detained for one reason or another. But this particular time I didn't get picked up. I, um, I declared all my uh, food products as Chinese women, elder Chinese women, and sometimes loath to do, but I do it. And uh, I had a big smile on my face. Yes, it's a bottle of soy sauce. I had put the seasoning in a bottle in a soy sauce bottle. <laughs> that was smart. And I got it through. And um, I put it in Dad David's um, pantry with a smirk on my face. He said, "What's that, Mum?" I said, "Oh, some of your granddad Gong Gong seasoning for you." He just took a, a, a sigh. He rolled his eyes and he turned and walked away. <laughs> he didn't want to know. <laughs>
0: I'm sure it will get used, nevertheless. Oh yeah, yeah, he uses (laughs) it. He just didn't want
1: to know how Uh, I got it into his his pantry. (laughs) I don't think think you're breaking any rules.
0: I don't think that would be, I think it'd be okay. I say it's okay. Good. (laughs) The librarian at Waikakari Library said it's okay, so I bought it in. What is (laughs) me? concludes the interview talking about what was the most popular seasoning and about a recipe from the book, stir-fried chicken with Brussels sprouts.
1: Well I think the surprising thing for mum and dad was that which of these seasonings were more popular. Mm. I think dad thought that the beef seasoning would be the most popular because you just um, brush that onto the steak, or oh, you dilute it first with water of course, but you brush it onto the steak and people would always go, oh my gosh, it's amazing. I guess that's where he would have been using the majoram and the little bit of cardamom. And so he was expecting the beef would sell well, but the chow seasoning sold really well. And the chicken. So, um, and the proportions were, you know, surprising. The recipe book sold well. He would sell it at the the supermarkets with the seasonings and people would buy the seasonings and buy a recipe book, take it home and often they'd come back with questions but the the book came about because people were asking how to use the marinades and they asked him why don't you write a recipe book can you write it can you write some (laughs) recipe okay so you pointed to stir-fried chicken with Brussels sprouts (laughs) cooking time 15 minutes, serves two to four, (laughs) recipe number 83.
0: Oh dry sherry I see is part of that recipe. You
1: need 500 grams or a pound of fresh chicken, two dessert spoons of dry sherry, one teaspoon of Jack Chong's chow mein seasoning, two teaspoons of salt, one teaspoon of sugar, three dessert spoons of corn flour, and four dessert spoons of peanut oil. He was big on peanut oil. In those days people used to use that all the time with Chinese cooking. Oh, don't forget, one pound, 500 grams of Brussels sprouts, one medium carrot and one medium onion. Mm. So this is before the days of people using spring onions.
0: Yeah, that's right. And all the different choys being available. Mm. You, know, you didn't have bok choy or,
1: or um, Shanghai Did cabbage. you grow
0: any of that yourselves, the family? Or? Not the Brussels
1: sprouts. but No, we, no, I mean we, the choys
0: and the uh, more Chinese. No, you? Mm.
1: there was way, way, um, those days. I don't even think they had the seeds in the country that mm. by then. Um, no, so therefore the simple ingredients, carrot, onion, brussels sprout, mm. yeah. So this, the te- this seasoning was the Jack Chung's barbecue seasoning in this case. Oh, I forgot about the barbecue seasoning, that was, yes, that was popular.
0: You can visit the Food for Thought exhibition at Tāmaki Taka Kōrero, the Auckland Central City Library from the 28th of September to the 31st of January 2021. It's a feast from Auckland Library's heritage collections, rare books, manuscripts, menus, posters and oral histories. The exhibition celebrates the role food plays in family belonging and culture, with stories of Auckland life from kitchen table to restaurant banquet. No mai haere mai, no reservation required.